Hi, I'm Damien Mew, CEO of AIA Australia New Zealand, and we are proud to bring you this Future Women production. At AIA, our purpose is to make a difference in people's lives and champion Australia to be the healthiest nation in the world. In this pursuit, we are passionate about supporting women to live healthier, longer, better lives. It's not always easy. That's why we believe in dreaming big but thinking small, as good health starts by making small, healthy changes. Visit aavitality.com.au to find out how we can support and reward you to take your first small steps to a healthier you. This podcast is brought to you by Future Women, a new home for women to come together online and in person. Become a member to gain full access to Future Women's content, events and community. Plus, our packed calendar of member-only social club events. For more details, head to futurewomen.com. This one man who's a really well-known lawyer in Silicon Valley, I was introduced to him at an event and he literally picked me up off the floor, spun me around and said, no one's going to invest in you, you're just a five-foot pipsqueak. And I could go on, I could be here all day, but if I focused on some of the really negative stuff, then I'm not focusing on my business. Hi there, welcome to Future Women with Sylvia Jeffries, where we climb inside the brilliant minds of successful female founders and learn how they've spun their simple ideas into global game changers. So whether you're in business, own one, or dream of doing it for yourself, these conversations will guide you through the keys to development, scale and investment with a heavy hit of humour and reality on the side. Today, we chat to Christy Lawrence, the CEO and founder of startup company and social media strategy app, Plan. So I kind of ring my husband one day, who thinks that I'm at home drawing all day. I'm like, hey, um, I think I'm going to build an app. And he's like, well, don't you need to know how to build an app? I'm like, well, you know, there's two million and the app store can't be that hard. <laughs> Plan basically aims to supercharge your Instagram account by offering a suite of scheduling, analytics and strategy tools. It helps business owners and bloggers to measure the results of their posts and to boost engagement. If Instagram is part of your marketing strategy, then Christie's app will help you get results. Just ask the one million people in more than 150 countries who've downloaded her product. And while the 29-year-old Kiwi native is flat out at the moment, travelling between Bondi and Silicon Valley, she still finds time to indulge her fun side. We've got light-up wheels. And we'll go down to like Rushcutters Bay in Sydney and roller skate oh, yeah. around. It's Tell so me fun. you're wearing a crop top and some big I've got the rompers. I've got the rompers yeah. and I've got my, my socks with like bright blue with whales on them. And yeah. Christy started Plan with virtually nothing. A few years later, the business is worth seven figures. And at the time of recording this interview, Christy was on the cusp of launching the web version of her app, planthat.com. Christy Lawrence, welcome to Future Women. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. It's wonderful to be able to sit down and chat with you and to go through all that you have to discuss and unpack and offer because it's quite a story. But I want to start with the turning point for you because you had a pretty serious health scare yeah, a while was, back. It wasn't nice at all. But I think every great story has one of those terrible moments where you hit rock bottom and then you've got to work your way up. So what was happening is that I was working in corporate advertising. So I was working at IAG, flooding everyone with TV commercials. Loved my job, actually loved my job. But I felt like the more that you climbed in corporate, the more uh, removed you are from that whole creative process of problem solving in the marketing piece itself. So I would go home every night and illustrate. And I started putting my work on Instagram. And it wasn't long before I started you know, making some good money on Instagram. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Anyway, cue back to my day job. I woke up one day 
and I felt like I was in a video game. It was really hard to explain, but the world kind of, I'd move my head and the whole world would turn with me. Mm. And I just tried to kind of ignore it and it just got worse and worse and worse. And the way I can describe it is that it's like when you've had way too much red wine and you lie in bed at night and the whole room is going warm, Benny. warm, warm, and, and you can't see and you just feel nausea. And Anyway, so I went in to the doctors and they rushed me to ambulance. I've had brain scans. I was pricked with every type of medicine. And they came about to say that I had the flu, but the strain of flu had gone into my brain and destroyed my entire vestibular function. So that's your spatial awareness. That is your balance, uh, your sight and vertigo basically. So is this in the space of what 24 hours that you started feeling ill? And Yeah I just woke up with it and I was like oh this is a bit weird and it just gradually over about 10 days got unbearable to the point where after a month I was like oh my gosh is this my life and the doctors when I was getting tested and they saw my brain scans were like well people that have this condition actually never recover so you'll probably need a carer you'll probably really struggle with anxiety and, and panic attacks because it's all of the nervous Mm. nervous systems that have been affected. And I was like, what? This can't be my life. Are you serious? I'm like this hyperactive, high achiever. I played hockey, um, just got married, this beautiful new husband. I was like, this is, this is not my life. And yeah, so there was a, I tried to work through and my work was amazing and they kind of let me, I didn't have to go to work every day and, but I couldn't be on set mm. being dizzy and falling over. Like you, it's just not safe, really. And the day that I fell down the escalator at Martin Place in Sydney, which is the public transport, was the day I kind of went, okay, I'm going to have to be at home and just focus on my health now. Did you hurt yourself? when you, What happened when you fell? Oh, man, it hurt. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it, just, it just hurt. And then the, the adrenaline running through, you kind of didn't feel it. I had some bruises afterwards. But, like, I just thought to myself, if that happened and I did that in front of a bus or, you know, it's just I prefer just to <laughs> work yeah. on getting better. Yeah. So you so. had to quit your job? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and how did you feel about that diagnosis at the time? That must have blindsided. Uh, yes, out of nowhere, just absolute devastation. Um, I can't even comprehend it, but the worst part was being lost in my head because I couldn't see. I'd lie on the floor to try and tell my body, like, hey, this is where you are and everything's safe, but the panic attacks that would come. So my mental health wasn't great either. So when I had to choose to leave my job to focus on getting better was actually the best decision at the time and I kind of had stopped thinking oh my gosh my career because I knew that I'd had enough experience that I'm not unhirable so I figured okay go and get better and then figure it out but then when I went home and I'd just illustrate and paint every day and put on Instagram I started making more money doing that than my corporate really (laughs) yeah advertising job like how much were you making off your illustration oh like like a thousand or two a week wow yeah because it was um it was all commission work and it was large paintings and I, I love, I'm crazy creative. So every medium, you've got watercolor, acrylic, like all sorts. I just love all of the things. Mm. So I was just getting all these massive commissions and heaps for fashion illustrations. I was like, okay, cool. And people pay for fashion illustration, like big ones for their home. And then, yeah, it kind of took off that way. So you were using Instagram at that stage. To, <laughs> yeah. to, basically your marketing platform. That was your, your shop window, right? Yeah. And how much knowledge did you have about Instagram and how to use it effectively at that Zero. stage? But the thing is, because I'd been working, so my background was marketing and advertising. I'd come from a bit of social. I'd come from digital marketing. I understood marketing and I understood social. So for me, it was a no-brainer that, okay, here's Instagram. It is a marketing channel, yes, but it's a visual storytelling technique. It's about putting images in a way that tells a story authentically about you and all the different facets of your business, what you'd like to show, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then um, 
yeah, a lot of people really struggled with that. They couldn't understand how the grid of Instagram actually affected sales. And a lot of people thought, oh, well, if I just post on the go, that's what Instagram's about. But it was more for me, more strategic. And when my friends were like, what are you doing? How are you doing this? And I'll be like, well, it's just about, you know, you just got to make your Instagram feed look good and tell a story and just basically reiterated my marketing background. And they're like, oh, can you you help me? Can you coach me? I'm like, okay, great, but... I'm going to have to charge X many dollars for consulting. And they couldn't afford it. And that's when... Good hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I was doing some illustration for Red Bull. Like, I was starting to get some really awesome things happening. So, I mean, people wanted to talk to me for two or three hours and then they wanted me to look after their accounts. But that's... I decided consulting wasn't for me. And this was all a very natural development, like you said. So, it came from your marketing background. Mm -hmm. You, You weren't sort of outsourcing assistance or guidance or, or no. anything in terms of how to no. hashtag if efficiently no. or anything like that? No, just if you Self-learn. use Instagram for a week, you kind of figure it out. Well, for me, it came naturally, but for a lot, it doesn't. So I was very blessed in that way. And then when I started to get an on mass of people saying, can you help me? Um, how are you doing this? And I thought there's a way I can scale my time. I've always been quite entrepreneurial and I come from a family of entrepreneurs and I thought, okay, there's an app in this. If I can teach people how to put images in a way that if they upload their images into this app and they can drag and drop and visually design their feed months in advance, weeks in advance, and then have their schedule their posts, help them choose hashtags and have all the analytics in one place. And then my mind as a creative went wild. Mm. It's like, oh, there's an app here. So I kind of ring my husband one day who thinks that I'm at home drawing all day and I'm really wireframing this app. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, um, I think I'm going to build an app. And he's like, well, don't you need to know how to build an app? Like, well, you know, there's two million and the app store can't be that hard. (laughs) But that's the thing. So we all have had a moment where we've gone, right, I'm going to build an app. I've got this terrific idea and I'm going to make squillions off it. Mm -hmm. But most of us give up too hard basket. Where do you start? Don't have the knowledge, don't Mm -hmm. have the background, don't have the funds, Mm -hmm. any of the above. So how did you start and why did you decide to take that leap? Well, I'm ridiculously optimistic all the time. And even though I was really sick and struggling, I was like, well, this would be fun. (laughs) It was a project. And I'd had a little bit of digital background, but not apps at all. I'd never, if I had known what I know now, there's a potential I would have never started. Tech is so much harder than anyone gives anyone credit for I honestly have no idea I thought an app would be like a thousand or two thousand dollars but it's like a hundred thousand dollars and how much money did you have to start this business zero dollars my advertising dollars what I'd saved while I was sick yeah so you know maybe about twenty thousand dollars just to in life savings like that was it so what I did is I drew up what the app I thought would look like and then I'd go on to Upwork and I sent it to a whole bunch of offshore developers and said what would it cost to build this? And they'd come back and be like, well, Christy, it's missing this, this, and this. I'm like, great. So now I knew how to iterate. So then I would develop that. And while that was happening, I was teaching myself UI, UX design. So I was building the app, designing it out while I was getting it scoped out. And then um, after a couple of months, I had a full scope. I'm like, okay, great. So then I went, I was starting to feel a bit better by this point. Um, I'd done a lot of meditation, um, a lot of downtime from computers, um, a, a whole bunch of random health things to try and make myself feel better. And I felt like I was ready to kind of return to an office environment. Were your doctors surprised by your progress? Oh, yeah. They they call me up still now three years later and say, can you talk to this person who's just been diagnosed and, and wow. tell them about your story. And I talked to a lot of people in that way, but it's like a whole other mm. kind of piece there. But 
what had happened by this point is that I'd had a whole scope now ready for an app. So I hustled my way in Sydney and went to a whole bunch of web and app agencies and said, how much like, can I work for free and I'll do your marketing and I'll do your clients' advertising and you can teach me how to be a CTO and what it would take to build this. And I got lucky and one said, okay. So after about 10 months of working for free in this agency, I had my MVP mm-hmm. and I had a thousand paying customers within my first five days. Wow. And, and that, when was this? 2016? End of 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, holy moly. Um, we can't keep up with this. We wow. don't have – because they, these are people that are working on it part-time and after hours for someone who's not a paying customer, right? So, like, we can't we can't service this type of popularity and we don't have staff for you. So, like, uh, so I had to kind of end the contract there of what we were working on and then I'd had, you know, made $10,000 in my first week so I had enough to make a deposit in another team wow. while trying to manage a 1,000 paying users and growing over these weeks. So I'm doing customer support like, oh, yeah, you found a bug. Okay, mm, we'll get it fixed. I'll send it to the dev team. I'll, be, I'll let you know. And I had no dev team. So wow. I'm trying to like hideously <laughs> annoy my network, trying to find anyone who built an app before to give me a referral. Yeah. Found a new dev team. Then I had to get the app rebuilt because developers don't like working on the, someone else's code that much. Mm. And then relaunch under How the guise did, of an update. About three months. That take, three months. So you were <laughs> out of action for about three months? Oh, no, no. Oh, I kept going. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. It's still going. Money coming in. Paying the developers to keep going. Customer support like on crazy. And then relaunch it. And then it just kept going. And like... We just, I'm two and a half years in, we're 1.1 million users in 160 countries. I have a team of 30 something in nine nine different countries now, Um, completely self-funded, haven't taken on any external funding and just life is just so different. Yeah. So, so different for me now. (laughs) Why, what do you think is the key to that rapid growth? Um... There's a few, there's a few like little things. So my background in marketing was kind of what's now known as growth marketing. It's a little bit hacky about like how to do things. So the more you understand about your person, your, your customer, the more money you'll make. And that's something that I tell anyone in business. And as an example of that, I knew that social media and especially Instagram comes with a lot of anxiety. Like, does this look good? Is this the right filter? Like, am I doing the right things? So when I designed the app, I put the user's name, the, sorry, user, like the person's handle, Instagram handle on the front of the workspace with my logo. So what people would do is they'd use the app and they would screenshot their grid that they'd created inside the app and then drop it into a Facebook group, let's say 20 to 30,000 people mm. and then say, what do you guys think of this? And then the comments would be like, oh, what are you doing to use that? And my plan, my company's name was right in the logo in the workspace. So it just kind of word of mouth just started to spread. And easily identifiable. Very easily identifiable. It didn't look like anything else on the market. And had I asked anyone with a real UI UX background, they would have told me I was insane for putting my logo on the workspace. But I'm like, no, I got this. I got this, guys. <laughs> I got this. I got it. <laughs> yeah. I'll take on board your feedback, but it doesn't mean I have to listen. <laughs> so who's, who's using it? Who, who so when, is this most useful for? Yeah, so when I first started, it was aimed at people like me, so creatives that were one-man bands that were trying to run their own business and just felt so overwhelmed with Instagram and trying to run social media. So it went first to creative female entrepreneurs, and then it rolled out to just creative entrepreneurs. And then I just started rolling through the niches for, for the first year. So I'd spend a month doing... Uh, like interior design and then the next month would be artists and the next month would be shoes how do you how do you actually target those niches oh uh <laughs> i'm going to give you an example for yeah. so the way that i got ten thousand dollars in my first week 
was because of the pre-launch. Okay. And so what I did there was I identified who my audience was, which was the female creative entrepreneurs, and then realized what's now influencer marketing. And I found the top 100 people that I knew that they would be listening to. Mm -hmm. And then I turned on those people's post notifications so that every time they posted, no matter what time of the day, and I wanted Americans, because whatever Americans do filter through into all the other countries, I would comment on their posts. And it's not like, hey, great job with a bicep emoji or anything. It was a real comment coming from a real person. So that human connection, because there's a real human behind every single Instagram feed. And then lo and behold, they became friends. Now they're friends on Facebook. We then had, I told them what I was working on. They became early beta testers. They helped me shape the product. So when I launched it, they felt they'd be part of it. Mm. And they all talked about it on my launch day, which is how I then launched it. So then you just replicate that on a smaller scale in through the niches. It's a very genuine engagement. Very genuine. To get people across. Hand by hand on hand combat. Like yeah. when you start a tech business, um, and I didn't read any of these books, but I know now that there's a, a very special quote that all the accelerators teach people that's to get to scale, you have to do things that don't scale. And that was my version of what to do at the beginning. Yeah. So, so <laughs> sound like crazy. It, I must admit, sometimes it's another language to me. But I, yeah. <laughs> and that's not just the Kiwi accent. Uh, so, so, um, so you've got a lot of bloggers, a lot of creatives, interior decorators. Yeah, in the early but you've days got now, big business now. now yeah. On so board that was too, sorry. Right? That was the first kind of six yeah. months when we were growing, and then um, I did a lot of work on SEO. So you pick, okay, what are people actually searching for? And you blog about that. So a lot of people that are bloggers in business and they're like, okay, I need to have a, I need to have a blog in my business. And they write about what they think. But what you actually have to do with your blog is discover what people are actually searching for, write about that, and then get the traffic in. Mm -hmm. I view a blog as a lead generation tool for as a business owner mm -hmm. and not in like an opinion yep. forum. There's other places for that. So we now have a million unique users every month on our website due to the work that's been done in our SEO, and that's taken a long time to get there. And so we post three really, really helpful blog posts every single week that most people would probably pay for. Like they're legit, um, really high-level Instagram marketers and social media marketers that write these posts. I don't take paid posts at all. Like if someone tries to say, hey, I'll write for you and I'll pay you because I've seen your traffic, I'm like, well, you tell me what you're going to write about and how it's going to help my audience. Otherwise, it's a no. So I'm very strict on what goes out. So what kind of content goes into your blog? Only helpful, actionable tips. That's it. Okay. That's it. There's no like, hey, I'm doing an Instagram course. No. <laughs> it's all about if you want to grow your Instagram or if you're trying to optimize or if you want to understand analytics a bit deeper, like it's all proper marketing help, which is... Yeah. And how have you monetized the app? So it's a SaaS, which means software as a service. And in normal terms, that just means a monthly subscription. So there's a freemium version, so you can use the app. And once you discover that there are more um, you know, business-optimized tools that are a bit more advanced, like, for example, what, what color palette is getting you the most engagement, which is something that we've built in, then you have to pay it's between three and twenty dollars, depending on how many accounts and how many team members you have. So some color palettes, yeah, are more engaging than mm -hmm. others. Yeah. You can't tell me for free though, can you? No, Which but, ones the, are? but the thing is, it depends on your niche and your human. Oh, uh, right? interesting. So if I was a guy, then maybe it's like a dark, moody blue. But if my target audience is a twenty-year-old female, then might be yellow. And if it, it, so it's completely, completely up to you. Which is why the analytics are so important. And then inside the app as well, uh, there's at Plan we've built this thing called Sneaky Peak. 
because we like the name, (laughs) we can look at your competitors and your peers and discover their color palettes that are working well. So you can then build that into your test strategy. A lot of people kind of forget that Instagram is still a marketing tool. And if you're not testing, then you're not learning. And if you're not learning, you're not growing. So what else other than color palettes, um, you know, do you advise on? Do you help people? Oh, heaps of things. We've got like best times to post. We've got your most engaged, your most liked, your most followed. So we are just about to launch our web app, which dives down into stories analytics, our videos or um, images working better for you, what's your drop-off rate, what type of content's performing best. Yeah, we there's a lot of custom work that goes behind the scenes that Instagram and Facebook don't give us. I'm going to save you tips on those things <laughs> for the end of the podcast okay. to make sure everyone keeps listening all the way through. <laughs> so think about your best tips and we'll get to that okay, right at the end. Sure. Um, okay, so um, at one point you were going so well. I mean, you're obviously – you know, nailing it, um, you were getting acquisition offers yeah, so coming the, in. Yeah, the crazy thing is, so within not even a year, we've got the likes of Seafully, we've got University of New York, you've got KFC, you've got these massive brands using the They're product. They're using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, we've never done any reach out. It's all them coming to find us and very and all organic. I don't have money for a sales team <laughs> when it's $3 and you give 30% to Apple. Like, there's no money in there for a sales team. Mm. And then... I moved to Silicon Valley for three months because I wanted to learn how to become a product manager. So as a female in tech I, I, and no background, I wanted to learn. So I went over there and went to as many meetups and met as many smart people and everyone over there. Just, it's just such a saturated area that it's, it was quite easy to find. And I found these great mentors that taught me how to build a product. So then the growth of the company got better. The more that I learned, the better that I was as a product manager, the better the product got, the better everything else got. So it was worth the weight in gold. But the hard thing was leaving my husband here in Sydney and then disappearing for three months and working like a crazy person. It was really difficult. And yeah, so when I came home, there was knocks on the door like, hey, we've seen that you're growing really fast. We want to buy you. So it was a whole new thing to navigate in itself. And you knocked all of those offers back, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why? Um, well, A, obviously not enough cash because yeah. <laughs> I think there's a number for everyone. But for me, the money didn't equate into uh, the realization of my dream and how my vision for where I was going to go. And so I hadn't felt like I was done yet. And I feel like there's a lot of people that would call me crazy and say the best time to sell is when you don't need to sell. But I just had – I felt like I was just getting started. I was like, I'm, I'm, I haven't even scratched what I want to do. I haven't even touched the surface. Like I just want to keep going. I feel like I'm onto something here and I'm just going to go for it. And so when I turned down that offer was when I decided to double down and that was when I grew the team from like three to 20 mm. within the space of like two or three months. But as a bootstrap company, you don't always have the revenue. So you've got to wait until the kind of product can support the staff. So there was, a, there was actually a point in there where you had to slow down the growth of the app and we, so we weren't doing any advertising and like slow down everything so that we could catch up on the operation side mm. because otherwise you just impose. Yeah, and that was a really weird thing to go through. Uh, you've spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley, mm. um, <laughs> going to conferences and doing the tech thing. Mm. Um, it's a very blokey industry. Oh yeah, um, it can be. A lot of industries are. Um, what are some of the experiences that you've had as a woman in <laughs> in tech? I know I'm going to look back and laugh at these one day. They are doing their best. I mean, they're doing their best to change and they're doing their best to highlight women in tech and to, to understand that we work differently and how to approach us. So a lot of guys in tech, you know, they, they're they not around other females that often. So a lot of them are just like dudes. 
dudes and hoodies tight on the mm-hmm. keyboard, which I totally respect. But there were some instances, and here are some of my – I'm going to give you some of my favorite examples. Okay. So I went to this tech event at night, and the guy, the bouncer on the door was like, um, this is a tech event. I think you're at the wrong place. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was one, like one of my favorites. And you then, don't belong here. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Basically, you don't belong here. Did you? What did you say? To I just laughed and said, <laughs> "Do you want to just take my name off the list, and then I can just kind of go through?" So I'm, I'm, I can hold myself. I'm five foot tall, but I know I can hold myself quite well. Mm. And then I would go to another event, and someone would say, oh, "Can I order a drink with you?" Oh no. Yeah. So, not the events girl. I'm sorry. Yeah. Or like, you can order one with me, but it will never show up. Yeah. So I just yeah. kind of like push back a little bit. Gee, you're good not to bite. Oh. No, I don't. I don't. I just. Well, the way that I look at it is that if I can, if I can somehow evoke their, their self awareness that they have just had subconscious bias against me, that yeah. they may not do it in future. And I feel like unless you kind of uncover that, then. They'll never know. Well, the humiliation is theirs really, isn't it? Yeah, not so it's yours. not mine. But I have things like someone will come up to me and there was like, example, there was a bathtub full of those, um, like those plastic balls that the kids play, like playground balls. And this guy would come up to me and I don't know if this is appropriate. You can, you can say whatever you want here. Yeah. It's a safe place. <laughs> They're like, oh, you want to get balls deep with me? <gasps> oh. And you're like, oh, God, no. Oh, God. Or this one man who's like really well-known lawyer in Silicon Valley. I was introduced to him at an event and he literally picked me up off the floor, spun me around and said, no one's going to invest in you. You're just a five foot pipsqueak. Uh And I could go on. I could be here all day. But if I focused on some of the really negative stuff, then I'm not focusing on my business. There was something that someone said to you (laughs) when they were – uh, when you were in discussions about acquisition. Yeah. So when you're going through acquisition, we have this process called due diligence. So they have to make sure that your numbers match up and that – uh, everything kind of matches what you say. And I think I don't think that they doubted me. I just think that they wanted something on paper. And they said, you know, Christy, it might be a bit uncomfortable, but you're going to have to lift up your skirt and show us your numbers. And the lady that I was with that I'd taken with me to this meeting goes, I'm sorry, what was that? And then they said it again. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay. And then in a phone call later on, they said it again. 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 Three so three times. times to me. And I just and I realized at this point that they didn't understand the offense the or call. that they were causing all that. It wasn't quite the right thing to say. And I realized it wasn't right. That here's my opportunity to help other girls in tech. And I just said, look, can we just retire that phrase? Like I know it's I know it's I just don't want to use it anymore. And then I just brushed it off and just kept going. So I didn't make a deal of it, but I made it really well known that it's probably not the right thing to say right now. How did they respond? I could tell that there was some embarrassment. Good. And a bit of real, and I think the penny dropped at the realization of like, okay, that was probably not the right thing to say. Yeah. But that happens a lot. Like if I'm at a tech event and I'm meeting other product product owners. So my husband worked in corporate finance and he would come with me to events at night because it got quite lonely. And when you're going to events with all dudes, they don't talk to you. So I would go and then I'd start talking to another product manager, get really excited about maybe we could integrate products, it'd be great. And then they'll turn to my husband, who doesn't even work in the company at this point, and go, okay, let's set that up. Do you have a business card? And he's like, um, you probably have to talk to Christy about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what kind of impact does that have on you does it ever deter you from going further to it actually just revs me up yeah I'm like oh, I'm gonna show you but it comes from a place of it doesn't come from a place of ego it comes from a place of okay I can do this and yeah, it kind of excites me I'm like yeah I, I'm you just don't expect it so I'm quite happy showing showing someone that I'm not the expectation. You can't put me in a box. I can do all of these things. And I just kind of giggle to myself, like, if only you knew what I knew. Mm. Um, 
So it comes from a, a good place. It doesn't come from a, oh, my God, you're an idiot place. Mm. Yeah, but I've done a bit of work on, like, self to get there. Have, you, you obviously run into some walls um, on some occasions when oh, you're yeah. up against men like that. But but do you have a support network of other women in tech to Definitely. rely on? Like, I'm going to give you my favourite example. When I first started, I went through this um, this program called Alavaco here in Sydney. And I said, this is what I want to do with plan. This is what I wanted to do. And they helped me grow my business. And then I started getting, they're like, okay, this is great. Maybe you should meet with angel investors. And so I started to meet with them. And one in particular brought me to tears. And this has never happened before. I'm pretty strong and resilient. I've got really thick skin. And this one man said to me, as an angel investor, why on earth would I invest in you when I can invest in two developers that know what they're doing, that are taking a wage from a different business and help them with their second? Like, why would I even invest in you? And I was just like, because I have a different skill set and I'm not a developer. And this is why 99% of startups fail because they don't market their products. And I was just like, Ugh. And I just burst into tears and walked out and I was like, oh my God, I just need a girl group. And then just called up and said, you won't believe what this dick just, mm. like, this dick just said to me, basically. Because it's fun sometimes when you feel like you're speaking to a brick wall, it's just this frustration that <laughs> yeah. boils over. It's just this overwhelming, like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I'm just so frustrated and angry. I just... I cried. <laughs> so you so you rely on that network. I've got this amazing group. We don't see each other that much, but we have group texts. Like uh, one of my favorites, her name's Maggie, yeah. but she lives in New York now. Well, she, just disclaimer, happens to be one of my best friends. Yeah, so, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I love her to death. So in the middle of the night, if I'm doing something, I just message her and be like, oh my God, you won't believe this. Or like Apple just rejected my build for the ninth time. So if you have these people that you can talk to, then it, it becomes less of your problem and it becomes our kind of mm issue and then people to check on you because when you're working so many hours you just need you just need friends to check in and your friends who I call your friends in real life yeah. they don't understand to the same degree as those that also run a business well you guys do speak in another language and I've yeah. you know I've, I've heard Maggie <laughs> speaking about her other tech friends and 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 you speak at a rapid rate um, but I imagine there's a lot of comfort in that yeah just to have someone else that understands yeah and I mean, in saying that, I've got a, lo a lovely set of men mentors as well that are amazing. And they'll be like, okay, Christy, like what's going on? Let's, I, I can hear that you're frustrated. Let's take the emotion out and like just uncover it. And they're really good with me. I'm not saying that I'm emotional at all, but they're like, okay, let's just, I hear your frustration. Let me help you. And I have some amazing people that I can send a screenshot and say, people are getting stuck with this button and they're pushing this instead of this. Like, can you help me? Mm. And they'll drop everything and help. So I have this amazing group of men who never looked at me. Like some people looked at me like, oh, here's this little girl that's, you know, playing tech. And then I have this group of men who are amazing, who help me to no end. And now I'm angel invested in their companies. So you're giving back to other companies mm. now. Yeah. That's a nice feeling. It's a great feeling. Yeah. You know you're doing well when you've uh... – when you've reached that point. <laughs> I think it's what I'm going to do later. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, advising and – because, like I said, all of these developer people with best ideas and they're amazing and they're so smart and they've got these great products, but they haven't been able to understand how to do the marketing. So, there's a few companies now that I jump in. Like, three hours on a Saturday, I dedicate to a company in Silicon Valley and do their marketing and copywriting. Mm. Yeah. And so where are you at now with plan? What's uh, what's the next milestone, the next big thing to tick off? <laughs> um, so we are in this crazy, crazy soft launch right now of a web app. So a lot of our people are like, okay, I love the app and I love that I can do everything from an app. But like I've got RSI and I'm getting like Instagram wrist <laughs> and I have to see an osteo for my forearm now. So can I use it on desktop? I'm like, okay, well, 
if I can save up money to, to actually make it, because it's like a million dollar piece of software. Oh wow! Right? It's you can't just go. It's not like going and making a twenty thousand dollar website. You need uh, server infrastructure. I have seven different servers in nine, like seven countries with different servers, so that the speed works in every country. It needs to sync from the existing product in the app. Um, so we're about to launch this crazy huge new web product, so that all of the companies that we have can then grow with us into the web product. Again, self-funded, probably did cost about a million dollars to build. And I'm so freaking excited to get it out. Yeah, it's been like a year and a half. Well, you've already gone from 2016 to now, um, to early 2019, from zero dollars, basically, to somewhere in the seven-figure range Mm -hmm. in terms of valuation. So what's the end point for you? Is there an end point? Is there a sell point? Is there a parachute point? Or do you kind of just I mean, um, I think every founder has their exit strategy yeah. and what they think is going to happen. But you never really know because in tech, your valuation is based on so many things. It's not always – in Australia, it's mostly based on revenue. But in America, it's like how many people are using it and what's the value of your brand. And so that's why usually acquisitions are worth more over there. Or do I want to make a lifestyle brand where I can travel with my husband and have this great lifestyle? and angel invest and have a team that runs a business while I can go and be an advisor. So I do have a huge options and I'd say I'm about a year or two away from figuring out what that looks like. Okay. Yeah. So we'll watch that space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the meantime, what what do you say to other women who are wanting to navigate themselves through the tech industry mm. in 2019? What are some of the the tips that you've picked up on that you would um, be happy to share? I just love sharing my mistakes. I yeah. think this is where one of the best things is that, like I said, no developer background, no technical background. So I just thought that a developer did all the developer things. I didn't realize that you needed specialists and what the difference between a front end and a back end. And I just giggle inappropriately every time someone said back end. Like I was just that, <laughs> I was just a normal, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, and then I made quite a few mistakes with how the tech was built and what code we wrote in. And the first thing that I say is learn what all the different roles are in a tech business and see if you can get a mentor that, or just someone that you can reach out to and say, hey, if I was going to do this, what type of team and what would that look like? And what structure would that look like? Like, do I actually, a lot of people are like, oh, I need a CTO. And now I'm like, okay, do you actually? Because a CTO just kind of leads the team or do you need a doer? So it's just little things like that, that if you don't have complete control over your tech business and you don't understand the tech of your tech business, then that's the first thing you want to learn. (laughs) So you're still living in Sydney in spite of the global success and global reach of the business? Yeah. So I'm about to, in two weeks, I head back to Silicon Valley for three months and then I'm back to Sydney again after that. So we're just working out where home looks like for us. Okay. Or it could just be the lifestyle. Yeah. Just a a moving kind of scenario. Well, the, the struggle is I love roller skating. Get out of town. I am obsessed with roller skating. Do you roller skate along the Bondi? No, the concrete's not that great, but Ah. I have lots of lots of great roller skating spots. But my favourite is Santa Monica to Venice Beach in LA. So and I've been doing artistic skate lessons with this company in Australia called Rollerfit. Wow. You would love her, actually. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, I would love her, <laughs> but I would not love myself on roller skates. <laughs> but I have, like, bright pink and bright green and a suede. Awesome. And I just have such – you can't – let me tell you, you can't hold a phone. You can't hold a laptop. And you can't have had that much wine the night before. Yeah. So it's all leads to health productive. So how often are you roller skating? Almost every day. Wow. Yeah. For how long do you – Oh, it depends on how long I get. Sometimes yeah. if there's a fire – I like in the business and like I only get like 10 minutes, but I do like a class on a Tuesday, Thursday and Sunday. And then like 
at night, I'll be like, babe, let's go roller skating. So I've also got my husband involved. He's doing it too. <laughs> well, it's quad skating. Oh. That's, he's talking about it. And we've got light up wheels and we'll go down to like Rush Cutters Bay in Sydney and roller Please skate around. It's tell so me fun. you're wearing a crop top and some big I've got the rompers. I've got the rompers yep. and I've got my, my socks with like bright blue with whales on them. Fantastic. And yeah, I'm having a good time. Let me tell you. Sorry, we buried the lead. <laughs> This should have been right off the top. <laughs> so you have to have your outs. Like if you don't, you'll just go insane. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you've you've got a lot of freedom, I suppose, in how you organise your day, right? Yep. As the business owner, as the CEO, what's that worth to you? How valuable is that? Oh, well, I think like the roller skating thing, like it's also a nod to, hey, I bet you vestibular neuritis. I had no balance and I couldn't see. And I was told I was never going to recover. Now here I am doing 360 jumps mm. in roller skates. Um. In terms of running my own business, I work harder than I've ever worked in my life, like 18-hour days, sometimes seven days a week, but I just wouldn't change it. Like, I sneak out and do, like, sightseeing stuff. Like, I went to the figure eight pools when it was quiet and no one was around in the middle of the day, so finally got to see it. Everyone says, you know, what does your work-life balance look like? And I just think, it doesn't exist. Work-life balance for me does not exist. It's just, what are all the things that I love and how do I fit them in a one day or how do I prioritize all the things I love over the course of a day? And that's how I look at it. You're very organised though, right? Uh, <laughs> my husband would say no. <laughs> In work, yes. But if you saw the piles of laundry, no. <laughs> so, okay, well, tips for anyone at home who is perhaps trying to leverage Instagram mm-hmm. for their business. What are, what are the key pieces of advice? One of the, the first things is always to invest in imagery. So if you have, if you think about it, there's a billion people on the platform and there's a lot of people that complain that their work isn't being seen as much as before, but it's really because you've got more competition. Um, So I would really, really consider investing in proper imagery. One photo shoot, you can crop a billion ways and have a year's worth of content. So that's my first tip. The second tip is understanding how hashtags work. So for example, um, you're allowed to put 30 hashtags on each post. Use all 30. What's the point of doing a post if you're not out there getting seen? So 30 hashtags. And then when you're finding hashtags, don't use ones that have got like 30 million uses or mentions because as soon as you use them, you're just going to get lost in the feed. That's a couple every second. So try and find the ones that are, if you can remember this, about 250,000 to 750,000 uses of that hashtag and then your engagement lifts and then you get shared to more because – Instagram thinks it's valuable content. Good tip. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one would be uh, just because you're scheduling doesn't mean that you've done the work. So, and this is in all media, as you probably know, Sylvia, that you, as soon as you put it out there, it's about the distribution channel, which really is engaging on Instagram. So 20% of the work is the post and 80% is making friends online. So going out and making valuable connections and and making friends. So by that you mean drop a post and then when people are commenting, reach back and, and Absolutely. chat with them and engage. And yeah, but engage with people that aren't as well. So find so the hashtags that you've just used on your post, go through those feed and make friends with people that are searching for those hashtags because it's about creating authentic relationships. So yeah. just like jump into different hashtags and have proper chats. And then like the last tip is probably just be human because behind the, behind someone's feed is a real human that's trying to engage with you as well. And the more engaging and human you are, then the better connections. And I'm going to give one example here that's how this has worked for me. So I met a girl online who also builds an app and happens to be in LA. Her and I uh, have similar target audiences. And the way that I reached out to her originally was, let's collaborate together and do something for our target audiences. I'll do a discount for my platform to your users. And that's how the friendship started. Two years later, 
She's launched her app. I speak at her events in LA. I sponsor her events. She sponsors mine. And she's just let me, um, introduce me to her friends at um, FIDA, which is a social media and fashion institute, where I'm heading over to LA to lecture at a university. And I'm going to become their preferred supplier of their seven different campuses for their software for social media. Wow. And that came from an Instagram post. It's just incredible. So there's this opportunity everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Just got to know how to tap into Mm -hmm. it. Um, Is it a myth that there is a good or bad time of day to post? Depending on your audience, yes. So if I, for example, had um, new mothers as my audience, I'd probably be posting at two in the morning when they're feeding. It's just understanding your people. And, or, you know, if my target was middle-aged men, then like when they're commuting home and what time of day is that? Mm. Um, so as a, if you were an outsider looking in or maybe a family member or your husband, mm-hmm. uh, would you be pretty proud of where you're at oh. right now? <laughs> I'd probably be like, what? <laughs> my family think I work in IT. <laughs> they, they kind of get it. No, they're, they're pretty great. They've been really supportive. There's been a few that haven't and they're like, how's your little app going? Because they just can't, just can't comprehend it. But it does, it does feel weird. I'm going to go red. But it feels super red, weird looking back going, oh, I did that. It's very strange. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a terrific story from start to finish. Is there anything that we haven't covered off? Go and check out the platform. Oh, the new web platform? Yeah, you have okay. to go check it out. And I'm one of those obsessed founders that loves feedback, negative and positive. I want to see it all. So if you can send it through the product, that'd be amazing. You might regret that. No, I, I really okay. don't. <laughs> when are we going roller skating? Tomorrow. <laughs> Come with me to roller fit. You don't want to see me roller skate. <laughs> I'm sending you the link immediately. It's going to be so <laughs> offensive. I'm all limbs. It is it's so fun. Good. Christy, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. All the best. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Huge thanks to Christy for joining us at Future Women and for sharing some of her insta-wisdom along the way. Go to planthat.com for more info on Christy's app. I'm Sylvia Jeffries. Don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. Give us a rating if you're on iTunes. And if you really enjoyed this chat, then please go ahead and leave a review while you're there. This podcast was brought to you by AIA, supporting Australians to live healthier, longer, better lives. AIA Insurance for life, health and well-being. This production was produced by Dan McHugh. On the next episode, we catch up with Deborah Sams from Aussie fashion label Basic.